Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Okay, well, let's kick this off. Uh, welcome to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm excited that a former colleague of mine, uh, David Charles, uh, is joining us um, this morning um, from over the West Coast. Uh, to talk a little bit about, you know, we're going to talk about creativity, I think, you know, we're going to talk about uh, different types of creativity um, and uh, David's journey because um, he sort of uh, shifted um, a few times, but more recently into the uh, genre of filmmaking. And so we want to talk about that journey. And uh, he was you know, behind a pretty awesome film uh, that got a lot of accolades uh, last year. Uh, so I want to talk about the process and that experience. So Dave, do you want to start with just telling us a little bit about your your history, um, kind of how you landed where you landed now? And yeah, sure. Um, well, first, thanks for having me on, Ed. Um, you know, I think it's been, what, 15 years since we've worked together, not to, not to age us right now, but... Um, but you know, I always loved our conversations and hanging out. So, so it's a real pleasure to, to kind of reconnect this way. Um, yeah, I mean, my journey is kind of weird. Um, you know, I've always been kind of an outcast. Where you know, I was born in Boston, but at eight I moved to Brazil, and so in in, in America I was always I'm the Brazilian, and in Brazil I'm the American, and and that kind of really set the tone um, to my entire career. Where you know, I'm always kind of pushing against an imaginary um, grain. And, you know, I started out as a comic book writer in Brazil. That was really my first creative career, um, only out of real necessity to be creative because, you know, I couldn't, you know, I grew up with not a lot of means, so I couldn't really go into filmmaking, which was my dream. And um, I had friends that were making comics and, and that was the, the way that I was able to, to start telling the stories I wanted to tell. And that led me into advertising um, in Brazil because there's not a huge entertainment industry. The advertising industry in Brazil is really like the big thing, right? Like creative directors are like rock stars there. It's, it's a really weird yeah, thing. Yeah. Explain that for a moment. I mean, um, I uh, once got, a couple of years ago, I got, uh, I got talking to Anselmo Ramos. Oh yeah. We were talking a bit about Brazil and, and he said, it's just, uh, we're ad nerds. Yeah, I think I think that um, it's changed a lot, you know, but in the 90s and the early 2000s around when I when I started, um, it really was the main industry for creativity in Brazil. Um, you know, there was no film industry. There were only bad soap operas. Um, the music industry was very limited as well. Um, so if you wanted to be creative and make a living, um, it was advertising. And, and so the best creatives, you know, the, the best, you know, the best future filmmakers, the best future, whatever, you know, and creativity all went into advertising and it, and, and the recognition kind of catapulted them, you know, it was, you know, at the time it was like America, Brit, um, UK and, and Brazil were kind of the three main hubs of advertising. And um, so, you know, in a weird way, I feel fortunate for having, um, you know, started my career there because it was a real boot camp. You know, you had to work really, really hard and, you know, I don't know, 14 hour days, 16 hour days. And um, yeah, that's when, you know, 
our 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 former alma mater Butler Shine kind of found me out of nowhere in Brazil and brought me over to to San Francisco to the Bay Area, and um, yeah, and that was you know a new beginning for me, and I, I really loved it. And and what was really cool is that you know they were kind of ahead of of their time and in really investing in digital work, you know, when it really wasn't a thing, and and that you know and that became really exciting for me because I just, you know, I just love telling stories and I felt that in digital stories became limitless the way you could tell them. And that kind of led me um, to, to Butler's um, not being very happy about me going to KQA after, but I, I just needed to make that shift because I felt like, you know, I wanted to spend my entire time, you know, focused on digital storytelling and, and I just got very, you know, I think kind of lucky of being in the right place in the right time where it was really the birth of, 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 of brands investing in web films and digital content. And, and there, there wasn't a lot of money um, still, even for big brands like Nike and, and whatnot. So I ended up directing a lot of, a lot of those things and, and going back to my, my roots and my true dream, which was becoming a filmmaker. So that kind of was, you know, the beginning of, of me exploring that. And then, um, yeah, then, you know, kind of fast forward, I, I moved to LA and um, worked at 72 and Sunny. <clears throat> um, I didn't really enjoy working there. I felt it was too traditional and, and um, yeah, th there wasn't just, there wasn't a lot of diversity and, you know, it was a very, th the way they sold themselves was very different from the reality there. And, and, you know, that was, but at the same time, it was a huge push because that really, um, got me where I am right now. And after that, you know, I ended up freelancing, but also starting to, you know, build my film career um, with a little hiatus where um, I was invited to open Kessel's Kramer, which is a Dutch agency and, and, and which is, you know, really, you know, was my favorite agency of all time. And, and it was a real honor to open their, their U.S. office. And I, I, I did that for about four or five years. And, you know, it was also an art gallery and, and a production house. And, you know, I ended up directing most of the things that we, we made there. So, so it ended up becoming a platform to kind of hone in the skills. And then, you know, fast forward to a couple years ago, I was um, doing several projects with Airbnb and, you know, kind of felt an appetite um, of them investing in, in, in longer form content. Um, original content, not even branded content. Um, and yeah, I pitched them this idea about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus doing a tour in the Deep South, you know, as kind of the ultimate travel story of acceptance and, and belonging, which are their core tenants. So so that, that project really, for me, you know, was the culmination of everything that I kind of worked up until then. You know, my experience in advertising, my, my, you know, love of filmmaking and, and also my passion and activism. They all kind of came together in, in one place. So just, just taking a step back, I remember when you went, to, so you went to AKQA, you did, didn't you do a lot of work for Nike? Um, yeah, I did. I did a lot of work for Nike. Um, and then I think the most memorable experience for me was actually, we did all the digital work in the launch of James Cameron's Avatar. And, and that was for, you know, that lasted a year and a half and, and it really, you know, we were embedded with them here. You know, we had a lot of meetings with, with 
James Cameron and John, especially John Landau, his producer, and and that really kind of became a bridge into into Los Angeles for me. Yeah. And um, what what was the story with Kessel Kramer? I, I mean, I I know that. I mean, I feel like I know those guys pretty well from the back in the day. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a very personal story actually because. Um, I actually did my graduation thesis, uh, you know, I graduated in advertising in Brazil and communications and my graduation thesis was about their work. Okay. Um, they had, they were just starting out um, and they started making th these, this really interesting diesel work. And, mm -hmm. and if I look back on it, you know, what they were really doing, they were able to, you know, within one print ad, tell a really deep story, you know, and I think that's what really I was drawn to, you know, how they were able to, in such a quick way, you know, tell a story that was way more deeper than any advertising that I had ever seen. Was that, and, the, American huh? was that the American campaign or was that, which campaign? No, that was, that was the, the, the wax models, you know, the Victorian era wax models about, you know, staying young forever. And then they did a, a parody on Ronald McDonald. They created Donald Diesel and, uh -huh. and, you know, Dave Bell, who, who is now, you know, one of my, he was he's my mentor and, and a dear dear friend um he was the writer at the time and he's just i think he's the greatest writer in advertising yeah. and and then he later became a partner and and he was the one that reached out to me and was like hey we're we're curious about america we would like to open um do you want to do that and 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 for me it was yeah it was really an honor and it, it was really founded in friendship more than anything yeah um and and so I know um, location, you talked about art gallery and stuff like that. I know in Amsterdam, that's a pretty important part of, of the ethos. Yeah. In, in LA, we, we, were, we were the first creative shop to open in Chinatown. Oh, cool. um, and, and the building we took over was also the first communist bookstore in, in, in California. <laughs> it's called the Happy Lion Building. Great. Um, so really fun. So you, you, you program shows there and invite people in? And yeah, yeah. We had a show, I think, every two to three months. Um, I think we did around some, somewhere between 16 to 20 shows. And, and that was really, for me, that was really important because what we did is we didn't, we didn't just like choose an artist and be like, here, have fun. We would collaborate with the artists. So, you know, me or our creative director melinda or someone else would would find this artist and then we would reach out to them and then we would challenge them to do something they've never done before you know and, and that was also a way to um to get around the galleries that represented them you know because they were showing some they were showing a side of their work that that nobody had seen before and that they would were always passionate to tell but could never do it because they kind of constrained themselves with that you know that style of art that they became known for um, and then at the same time, huh? Sorry. Your favorite experiences that came out of that? Um, oh man. Well, I think I think the work with um, Raphael Rosendahl. Um, he's kind of a renowned digital artist. He was the first um, digital artist to sell a URL at Sotheby's, and um, and we when we engaged with him, and you know his art's it's digital, but it's very human. And, and in talking, I learned that he had a side project, which was um, a, a kind of an electronic band, but a really moody, interesting electronic band with this other, with this Dutch guy. 
And what we ended up doing is um, we, instead of doing an art show of his pieces, we, we became a record label and we launched his album, his first album. And the cover of the record label became a, a piece of his that he made, uh, this beautiful piece. And then um, we self-programmed a self-piano, a self-playing piano to play all the songs. And then he did um, some some video art based on on the songs as well. So that that was really fun. We had we had you know probably not as fun for the creatives that had to listen to the same songs over and over again for for a couple of weeks. But um, but it was really beautiful. That's great. Um, so. You're working, so how did you get, you got hired by to work at Airbnb or you were freelancing for Airbnb? How was that? Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been a consultant for the past um, five or six years, you know, um, worked with Apple and Possible Foods, Fiat, and then Airbnb for the past four years kind of became almost my sole client. Yeah. Um, where um, I was actually brought in, um, by this, by this guy, well, now a, a friend who I, 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 I love, um, James Vincent, he, 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 he started Media Arts Lab yeah, yeah. and was Steve Jobs' right-hand man for many, many years um, yep. on the agency side. And um, he was kind of doing what he did for Steve. He was at the time consulting and doing for, for Brian Chesky. And Brian wanted to create a new product. And James suggested, you know, bringing in two kind of, you know, top creatives to help, you know, figure out what that product was and what the narrative was most importantly. And um, that's how Airbnb experiences was born. You know, Brian, Brian had the vision, um, but we were able to, to kind of get that vision and, and really um, make it into a story that people could, you know, a story that was also a product that people could, could experience and buy. And, and it was awesome. And then we ended up, um, making 500 one-minute trailers in in three months, and that was the craziest project ever. So these were little uh, um, trailers for like the experiences. Yeah, and that ended up becoming the marketing. So so the product became the marketing in, in that case. Um, so that was kind of like your your role was like the expression of this. Uh, how do we express this idea out in the world? Yeah, but also how 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 does how do we communicate this? Well, not just how we communicate this project, this this product, but also um, giving the product its soul as well. You know, I think I think the concept and the functionality really came from Airbnb. But um, me and and my creative partner Jerome and and James as well, we we helped you know give it some soul. Yeah, yeah, great. So. Um... So how did how did you find the so you're at Airbnb, you we working for Airbnb. You got this thing going on. Um, take us through the the narrative of 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 getting an idea and then. Sure, it. yeah. I mean, just just backtracking a little bit um, to give some context. Um, I had created. Um, uh, a, a voter registration campaign for the 2016 elections and I worked my ass off and um, I did it actually with James Vincent, um, Steve Golan from Anonymous and, and Alejandro Iñajito directed them and we made a hundred films and including um, one that kind of became more known which was Robert De Niro saying he was going to punch Trump in the face and um, 
so we made these these we made these films and you know we we got hundreds of millions of views and hundreds of thousands of people to register and then trump still won um and you know we felt really defeated and and, and even more heartbroken because we were so personally and emotionally involved and um i just started and then i understood that it's more about how the country's divided and less about who's who's in charge or at least at the time you know i had no idea how crazy it would become now but at the time that was really the focus of like oh wow okay how can we how can we get these two sides talking again yeah. and then um a creative partner of mine um melinda gorham um we were talking one day over coffee and she said oh i saw this article about the san francisco gay men's chorus um announcing that we're going to do a tour in the red states and i was like holy shit that's it i i've never you know that was that was the best news i had you know heard at the time and they announced it the day after the election so this was you know it was fresh and um so it was just a kind of a perfect um culmination of of factors where i found that you know i found this story <clears> through melinda and um, at the same time, I was working on a, a project um, for, you know, just coming up with original content ideas for Airbnb um, and, and getting ready to pitch them. And then one of the ideas that we had sold through ended up getting shelved. And then I kind of took that defeat as an opportunity to be like, look, I get why you're, you're shelving this one, but there's one, there's this other one that's, you can't like, you can't say no to it. It's so incredible. And then, you know, um, the resilience and genius of, of my producer, um, Bud Johnston, who was the producer at Airbnb at the time, he was like, you know, let's not, let's not, let's not show a deck. Let's go there and film these guys and, and, and kind of, you know, and, 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 and really understand what we're, so people can understand the well, beauty had, of Had you got, had you had a discussion with them, the gay chorus or not yet? Yeah. So Bud reached out to the chorus and, um, and before meeting with them, I wrote, I kind of did this imaginary casting list where I just wrote imaginary characters. I was like, wow, the, if they have some of these people, I wrote 20 different ones, you know, whether it's a, a gay man who was from the South, who was estranged from his father or a gay man, um, you know, dealing with meth addiction during the tour um, or, you know, a, a gay man transitioning at the time. And, and I showed them the list and they had every single person on that list. And I think that really helped them understand that we understood, you know, that we, we understood them and, and that we wanted to make a film about people and not a film about the tour, you know? And so they kind of opened the doors to one of their rehearsals and we filmed it. And then we built, we built kind of the seven minute video that was really emotional. And, and, and it really was the thing that opened all the doors, you know, to, to getting the chorus to agree. Cause we were also not just pitching to Airbnb, but we were pitching against two other, um, bigger directors and production companies that wanted to make this film as well. And oh, wow. I think, I think in making that, you know, making that film, that seven minute film, that was just, it looked kind of like a casting session, but I think we, we really got the tone and the heart of, of what the, the, what the, you know, the feature film ended up becoming. And, um, you know, we had the belief of, of the CMO at the time, Jonathan Mildenhall, and the managing director james good and and the ecd tony hogfist and and they just believed in it um but all of that said it wasn't like here's a check go for it um 
you know, it was a, it was a difficult time because, you know, although it had been greenlit, um, Jonathan was leaving, you know, his job as CMO. So all of his kind of projects got killed and ours, our project was one of them. So we had to really fight and, and, and work, you know, for a, a bare minimum and under the radar to get this film made. And, and once we got it in, you know, and kudos to James Good and Tony who fought for us, you know, they, they, they literally resuscitated this film a million times. And so, so it was like make, making a, a usual indie film, you know, it wasn't any different. Um, but, you know, all of that said, you know, after, you know, the film um, got into Tribeca, um, Airbnb really, and, and, you know, once Brian Chesky saw the film and understood the, the level of what we were making, they really got behind it and, and supported it, you know, all the way through um, until we sold it to MTV. So, um, you know, just take us take us through because there's a lot there's a lot that went on um, that we skipped. Um, so, so you get you get sort of sign off from Airbnb. You, you said there were kind of other directors pitching. Yeah. To the chorus. Yes, to the chorus. Yeah. So they had to pick the the one they felt that we gonna was gonna best represent them. I think so. That yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get the call back from them, which is like, yeah, we want to go with you guys. Is that how it happened? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But also kind of, we just started shooting. So we kind of didn't give them a choice either. <laughs> and in and, and filmmaking, you have to have, you know, what they call the idiot gene. You know, no. you, have, you have to have this naive, like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, Great. When you're pitching business, they always say, like, pretend you're already working with the client already. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we did. And, yeah. and it, but, but that said, it was sincere, you know? Yeah. So um, when you made the, what was it about the seven minute piece that you, I mean, it's always the same, you know, you know, I'm sure you're a butler when we won pitches because we made a film, you know? Yeah. Whether it was an idea film, whether it was a strategy film, whether it was a creative film. Film has, it sort of goes back to your um, your impetus, right? What is it about film? You know, if, what is it about film that you can you can put a ten page PowerPoint together, and people switch off? You show them a seven minute film, it it, it changes the. It, what is it? And is that what drive what attracts you to the medium too? Yeah. Well, you know. I, I have a deep passion for music and I, I actually think that music is the quickest way to reach someone's heart and, and emotion. Um, sadly, I can't play a single instrument and my voice sucks. <laughs> so the second best after music is, is filmmaking or film. And, and, you know, and what it does is it actually is able to combine two things that I'm very passionate about, which is music, you know, and sound and, and writing. You know, and, and, and I, I feel like, yeah, there, there's just, you know, there's just a level of humanity that you can't really reach in any other way, you know, and, and I know I may be ruffling some feathers right now, but, but I even think of things like VR are not as powerful as, as, a, as just a film, you yeah. know, and, and VR is just, it's, it's just a solo experience, you know, there's something about being together right yeah yeah 
And, and, and I feel like the power of film is not about you being in the scene. It's about you putting yourself in the shoes of someone else. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that, and that level of empathy for me is the true empathy machine. So you got the call back. They say it's a go. Airbnb, there's all kinds of stuff going down. Yeah. You know, I, I think that an important part that I, I forgot that I think is relevant for this, for this chat is that it wasn't just a random idea that they were, they thought was cool. And we made the, the, the concept itself of the idea was completely native and inherent to Airbnb's core values, you know, and I was very, you know, fortunate that, you know, I have this background, you know, I already had 18 years of advertising at that point. And I was able to work with people like you had, honestly, that taught me about strategy and strategic thinking. And, and, and it was just, you know, it was, it was just the perfect fit you know, and, 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 and that was also on the other end that that pitch video that we made helped Airbnb understand the value of this project for them, because in a completely effortless way, you know, it just hit on the head all of their all of their tenants and, and core, you know, mission values. Are you surprised that we haven't seen more? Well, I'll tell you this. Yeah. So I made this film. It was the, I think, um, the piece of content um, for Airbnb that was most PR'd ever in the history of the company. Um, not a product, but, but content itself. Um, it won the Audience Award at Tribeca. It won 35 other awards around the world. It sold and paid itself off. Um, it sold to Sheila Nevins and MTV. Sheila's like the, the, the Quincy Jones of, 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 of documentary. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it made the, you know, the top 20 list for the Oscars. I didn't get a single phone call from a single brand in, in neither from, and neither from Airbnb, Airbnb had just started their studios. The, the people who were running the studios never sent me an email or gave me a phone call. Um, luckily, you know, James Good and Tony who are running the marketing department, they understood and, and, you know, they helped set up a new project that I'm doing with Airbnb. But if it wasn't for them, um, you know, for marketing people to have that vision. No, no, zero branded content people have ever reached out to me on this. And it's, it's yeah. literally the biggest branded content case study in the past year. Yeah. It's, it's really strange. Um, <laughs> so I'm not bitter about it. I just think that's an example of why, yeah. you know, why these things are so scattered. Well, yeah. Um, we'll go back to that, this one. So let's go back into the making of the film. So you get the green light, you got the shenanigans going down Airbnb, you're off shooting. And, and so what, what sort of, what are you, they're, they're on a tour, right? So they, they announced. Yeah. I think, I think what, you know, what made this film so unique also from a brand, brand standpoint is that 80% um, of the crew were all Airbnb employees. Um, you know, we had a, a, an outside producer, Jesse Moss, who's a, you know, a renowned documentary filmmaker um, who was instrumental in, in helping us shape this. And then Jeff Gilbert, who edited it, um, and, and Thorsten, who was the second DP, but everyone else, they were all Airbnb employees, um, which enabled us to make it at almost no cost, yeah. and, um, but still at the highest quality you know, um, and, and, and kudos to them for hiring people that could, could, you know, push the bar that high. Yeah, and so they, they, they basically 
did these people volunteer or they were told this is your <laughs> this is your new job or no we kind of we kind of all they kind of volunteered you know we kind of like we all worked on other projects together and and we kind of formed this little um you know little crew um of basically uh, you know the film the film the core team of the film were four people and then you know when we were on tour we scaled up to eight and that was it yeah um but anyways um yeah so we we spent some time in the south before the tour so we spent like a month and a half on and off because it was really important to understand the place and to give the south um the voice that it deserved and not to be you know not have this bias vision of the of the south you know, so we, we went once with the, the key um, chorus members, then we went by ourselves, and then, you know, then we went on the tour. And the tour itself were eight days. So we were shooting literally, you know, uh, it was five, 25 performances, uh, five states in eight days. Um, and we were, <laughs> we were shooting literally 20 hours a day and um, traveling, waking up in the morning, going to another state and, and starting over again. And, and we had two, two units. So every morning, you know, not, and this was kind of the hardest part. I had, to, I had to make the decision of the two things that we were gonna shoot. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't, we couldn't afford to shoot everything. Oh, yeah. um, but in the end that ended up helping the film because in order to do that, I had to script everything out before and yeah. really, really structure the entire film before we even started shooting. You knew shooting every day. You knew, yeah. Of course, of course, there were surprises, but but generally, um, we 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 had a very um, clear and strict agenda every every single morning. So, um, what were the surprises along the way that you managed to capture? You felt. I think the greatest surprise was actually the positivity. And, and, the, and the lack of, um, it's funny because when we ended shooting, it was something that bothered me, you know, thinking it, we didn't have enough conflict for the film um, because, you know, there were protesters and stuff, but nothing, nothing too crazy, you know, nothing you would expect going with 300 gay men into the South. Um, and, and, you know, then we ended up, using that to our advantage and 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 realizing that you know in in this society today um sadly it's more surprising and more radical to 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 be positive and to show the good side of things than than to to focus on the drama and the disaster yeah so um, so that's an emotional high too then right yeah 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 and and it, and it was true you know like 90 percent of the tour was was incredible and and and, and heartwarming and and full of you know moments of surprise and togetherness, and ten percent were, you know, were 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 the bigots that you would expect. But you know, nothing that you're not already bombarded with the news, you know. And and that's the, for me, that's the true value of a documentary is that, you know, you have the time, and you have the platform to to tell all the sides of the story, you know. Usually in in news and social media you get that hook, right? You get that one thing bad that happens and that's all you talk about and you forget to dimensionalize it. And, and then we live in this kind of one dimensional world. So I feel like, you know, doc, and I feel like that's why documentaries are so successful right now. You know, like if you think about the top hits of 2020 so far in film, they're all documentaries, you know? And, and I feel like it's because, well, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons it's because 
um, it really dimensionalizes, you know, true stories. So you come back and my, you must have thousands of, of, of footage, right? Or we have 300 not? hours. 300 hours. He's <laughs> like, what? That we cut down to 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of work gone in there. Yeah. And, and God bless. I mean, Jeff Gilbert is literally the best editor I've ever worked with. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's a seasoned, highly, you know, commended editor and he looked through the entire, he looked through every single minute of, of those 300 hours, um, you know, and I had a structure already. So with that structure in mind, and, and then we started cutting it. Um, but I think, you know, there were moments <clears throat> where, you know, his true genius came in where, you know, there was a scene where I thought we didn't, we didn't get what we needed. And then, you know, we let the camera rolling and the things that happened after the scene were really the true gold of, of that scene, you know? So like, so that's, that's the, yeah, that's really the beauty of, 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 of a documentary editor is he's able to, he's able to find, you know, to see the unseen moments. Yeah. So um, who has approval on the film? Um, well, at the time, um, James Good, um, Rachel and Jenny, who were the head of productions at Airbnb at the time, and Tony, um, technically they were, um, they were the approvers. Um, and then the chorus, you know, they didn't have final cut, but, you know, we wanted to be respectful to them and, and show them and, you know, um, and, and, and keep them involved. Um, all of that said, um, I think between me, Jesse, um, Bud and, and Jeff were so hard on ourselves and, and we were probably our biggest critics that um, when it, when, when it was time to show Airbnb and the chorus, you know, the, the assembly, you know, kind of a long, a long, very long rough cut, um, you know, their notes were, were minimum, you know, or notes that we already had. Um, there was one thing that I was throughout this whole process, I was terrified of, of coming up and, and thank God it never came up, um, which was the role that religion plays in the film. You know, mm -hmm. religion is in, 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 in Christian faith-based communities intention with the gay community, you know, is, is basically the heart of the film. And I had never seen a brand um, tell that story before, or even get involved in any way in religion. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, granted that we show, you know, both sides, the negative and the positive side, and we're very fair to, 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 to everyone and, you know, all the churches that we, we filmed at. But, um, but I was, you know, that, 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 that's an easy, thing for a brand to say, right? Oh, no, religion? No, we don't get involved. Um, but, you know, Airbnb didn't even, they didn't, they didn't even, they, there was no comment. There wasn't even the comment of like, we know this is tricky, but we're going to do it anyways. They didn't, they just saw the humanity in the film and they saw how closely it stuck to the core tenants. Yep. And, and, and that was it. So uh, how did the chorus react when they saw it finish? Close to uh, finish? And in the first seven minutes they were we had to stop the movie because they were already crying so much <laughs> it was really beautiful so, you, um, so they you did get, have notes though and and we didn't address any of their notes <laughs> you get so you get some notes from from airbnb you go back and make the final the final cut yeah and then what happens well actually um the, the 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 notes that we had for the final cut weren't really from airbnb what we did um which i recommend for every filmmaker to do is we held um, two test screenings with um, some pretty 
established filmmakers. And, and, and in those test screens, we kind of found the flaws of the film and, and we were able to, to tighten the film um, even more. Um, so, so yeah, that was kind of the, the real, um, the real um, moment of re-engineering and, and, and sharpening the film for its final output. So you then, you then have the final film and then what happens? And then um, I was devastated that we, we, we didn't get into Sundance. We were the last, we got, a, I got a letter saying we were the last film that got cut. Um, and I, then I heard that partly because, you know, um, they had the quota of 50% female filmmakers and, and male filmmakers, which I think is amazing. I'm not, you know, um, so that actually helped me cope <laughs> with that moment. Um, but then right after that, we ended up becoming the first film, um, the first documentary film to be selected into the Tribeca Film Festival. And, and that just meant the world to me. Cause I remember um, actually when I was working at AKQA, I would go to the New York office to free to, to, to work. And um, I would always walk past the Tribeca um, cinema. Yeah. And I would always think like, Oh wow. Wouldn't it be amazing if I could attend the festival one, one of these years. <laughs> and, and, and here I was attending with, you know, a, a big sold out premiere and it was just really crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you do screenings back in the South? Did you take the film back to the South again when you had it? Oh, yeah. I think there's two really quintessential moments. I played all over every, every festival in the South, um, but there are two moments that were really meaningful. Um, it, it was also selected um, to be part of the Southern Circuit, which is a National Endowments of the Arts program, where they get a film and a filmmaker and they take them on this 10-day um, tour into eight rural towns in the South. So it was almost like reliving the the... The, the, the tour that the, that's in the film, but with the film, but in, in communities that are even smaller and more conservative. So I was, I was taken to places like Bowling Green, Kentucky, Milledgeville, Georgia, um, Davie, Davie, Florida. And, um, and I would attend, uh, I would go to churches and speak at churches, at universities, at, at, at schools, um, even at a military school, which was so weird. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, really profound. And, and, and I always say all those screenings were our smallest audiences, but the most impactful ones yeah. because the people that were there watching it really needed to, to see that film. And, 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 and it's funny cause you know, I always, you know, I, I picked the title gay chorus, deep South. I fell in love with it from the minute I thought of it, but I always had a, you know, a, a, my advertising mind would, would always question it because it could be limiting, you know, it could limit the audience having gay in its title. But then I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, which is a place that still has um, coffee shops that don't serve gay people. You know, it's very, very conservative. And, um, and then in the middle of the down, little downtown area, you know, they have the movie theater with this giant marquee. Um, and for a whole week, it had gay chorus deep south, you know, and for me that like, I didn't even care that, you know, the, the discriminatory and you know, conservative people weren't going to go see the film anyways, but just to see that title there and to see that title in their news and, you know, and, and live with that for a couple of weeks um, will inherently create conversations that, you know, they wouldn't have had otherwise. And then the other big moment was um, the church. Um, the climax of the film happens in a church in Greenville, South Carolina. And the pastor reached out to me and said, Hey, can we, can we do a screening here? I'm like, sure. 
And I thought he was just going to screen to his congregation, you know, like in a little community hall. And then he's like, oh, we had to, we ended up renting the art center here because we sold 2000 tickets. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're screening in this, you know, beautiful concert hall where, you know, I don't know, big performers, you know, play and to 2000 Christians, you know, and that was on one Sunday. And then the following Sunday, it was a closing night film of Frainline um, at the Castro Theater. And, you know, there were about 1600 you know, on Pride Day, actually, and there were about 1600, probably non-Christians, you know, seeing the film. So, so for me, those, those moments are really um, the true power of, 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 this, of this film is, is, is being able to speak to those both sides, you know. And then for a brand like Airbnb to be a part of that, um, you know, they, they, have a, they have the hardest time breaking into small town America. You know, and this film really opened those doors for them there. So, um, one experience, two years. Yeah, yeah. So, where does that leave you? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it does it drive you? What, what's through your mind? Is it? Is it? Does it reinforce? Because there's filmmaking and there's filmmaking, and there's filmmaking with social activism. Is it? What direction does it drive you in uh, having done this? Well, I, I, I really want to um, do my best to every film that I make. I kind of found, you know, and I had a film before this that I haven't released yet um, called Mythical Creatures about um, Gary Baseman, this artist, and his father, who's a Holocaust survivor. Um, so it was using art and animation and, and you know, to tell the story of the Holocaust. Um, gay chorus, you know, uses music to talk about discrimination and, and, you know, divisiveness of America. So I kind of found this, um, I don't, I don't know what to call it, this thing. <laughs> I kind of found this thing that, that, that is, is, is my thing, which is finding, you know, finding pop culture elements to tell, you know, a harder, a harder story to tell, you know, using, using art and entertainment to, to get people, to um, absorb a message that they wouldn't normally do if it was just a hard hitting documentary. And, you know, for me, for me, the greatest case of all time in that sense is, is the Pixar film Inside Out actually, um, because it was an animation that spoke to every type of family, billions of people around the world. And for the first time it helped kids embrace sadness and understand that sadness isn't a bad thing, that sadness is the path to, to being um, to having a healthy, um, happy state and, and in a world, you know, that, you know, really pushes us to, to want to be happy and to think that if we're not happy, we're doing something wrong. Um, so, so anyway, so, so that's really my goal in life. So, you know, really finding stories and, 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 and situations where, you know, I can use music or sports or, you know, any, any, anything that, you know, hits pop culture and that is enjoyable to watch um, embedded with some um, message. Let's go back to the, uh, the brand question. You, you, know, you talked about everything lining up for Airbnb. This is really a, the perfect um, coming together of all these elements. Yeah. That, that in a way that no ad could really do quite as well and quite as powerfully tell what the story of what Airbnb believes in. 
Especially for a brand like Airbnb, right? Because Airbnb's Airbnb's products are people. Yeah. You know, like it's a it's a human, it's a community driven product, you know, company brand. So, you know, what better way to 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 show that than, you know, giving kind of the ultimate showcase of humanity. Yeah. You you know? go back, why why didn't you get any phone calls? I mean, it's kind of strange. It seems like I mean, you know, well, what's, what's interesting is I, I got a lot of, not a lot, but I've got really amazing phone calls from the entertainment industry, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I got calls from Ryan Murphy. I got calls from, you know, some big name from Sheila, right. From, you know, who bought the film, you know, I, I got calls from the biggest people, you know, in, in entertainment. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing a Netflix series right now. I got a call from Netflix, you know, I can't really talk about, Yep. the theme of the series but um i'm already on a, a next you know really ambitious project <clears throat> um but zero from from advertising you know where every single person every single here, here here's a great um here's a great example ed um my friends um were running the design department at um wyden and kennedy and they had mm -hmm. seen the film and they were gracious enough to uh, um and Airbnb was their client at the time, by the way. And they were gracious enough to, you know, they wanted me, they flew me out there and they wanted to show the film to their employees and, and have a little chat. And that was really nice. And while I was there before showing the film, they introduced me to the ECDs or to one of the ECDs of, of the whole company. Um, and he had never heard of the film before, you know, which was the biggest thing their his own client had made um, and, and that's how, you know, that's how short-sighted these places are, you know, and that's why I feel like advertising agencies are, you know, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, you know, and, 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 and at the same time, you know, he didn't, they didn't go see the film, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to get involved, you know, and it's just weird to, to see that. Yeah. I just always, I mean, to me, um, I remember years ago, I was fortunate enough to meet Tibor Kalman. Um, cool. And he, yeah, and, and he, uh, you know, he said, look, you know, you, you got to find, you got to find, it's, it's like, we, we, we need to enter a new renaissance. We need to find a, a point where um, it's like the Benetons were funding Fabrica and they were funding Colors. Yeah. You know, really, that was really creative, you know? Yeah. Well, the magazine was like social provocation at scale, you know, and the Fabrica was a school, is a school. And um, he said, you know, more brands need to, to step forward and, and, and do the same. Um, and it seems like now it's just commercials, TV commercials. I mean, who's watching a TV commercial? You know, you're doing you're doing your best to avoid it, especially if you're under the age of 25. Um, and brand purpose is such a strong part of what everyone's talking about. And right now, we have people who have no insight into the African American condition. Yeah, they 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 don't want it. They don't they don't they are not be bothered. They ignore it. Uh, it's never been you know like. Storytelling is 
is absolutely critical. As you said, it goes back to the point when you, when you said coming out of the election, it wasn't about an individual, it was about a divided society and how storytelling can help you understand. And if you understand, yesterday I had a podcast with a guy, amazing African-American guy out in Connecticut. He goes, you know, his basic line of his stories is, school principal calls me up. He says, I got two rival gangs are pulling ga- guns and practically killing each other at school. I can't, I can't, can't go on. And he has this, he had this method where he it's all about getting to know the person behind the face. And it's yeah. pretty simple. And he, uh, he goes away because this camp takes these rival gangs from this high school away to this camp in two days after that, then they're just about done. He said, you know, the two, gang leaders come up to him and say you know um, we're sorry to say we can't we can't we we can't stop what what's going on in our streets but we've agreed to a truce in the school and it's based was based yeah. on uh on these guys understanding each other yeah um so yeah it seems it seems like there should be more and brand should get behind it <laughs> yeah well you know it's funny that, you know, brands love to talk about how, you know, they, they, they lead culture, you know, agencies and brands, right? They, they're the leaders of culture and, you know, you don't need, you don't need government anymore. You have Google and Facebook, you know, and, and things like that. But, you know, when it time, when it comes time for them to really show up, they, they just put out these kind of blanket messages, you know, yeah. just to not look, you know, they're, it's funny, right? Like, I feel like the majority of brands, or, or try not to look bad, right? They put so much energy in trying not to look bad versus doing what's good, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like if they shifted that energy to focusing on doing what's truly good instead of worrying about looking bad, um, maybe, you know, we could get somewhere. That's a great point. That might be the end. That might be the final point. Um, yeah, thank you. That's great. That's great. I don't think we can stop that as an ending. <laughs> Thank you for your time and for your Thanks, insight. Man. It's a real pleasure. Um, I'll let you know when we, uh, when we put this up and make it go live. Sounds really great. Enjoy that conversation. Thank you. You too, Ed. Have a wonderful day. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.